is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? Shall I recall the candidates? Australia, Japan, Korea, Qatar, United States of America. The winner to organize the 222 FIFA World Cup is Qatar. <laughs> This is Box 39 with me, Bill Lawrence, coming live from Studio One on the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers. And with our studio absolutely full for our Box 39 Christmas party, as I will be joined by three fans of the World Cup uh, and of Christmas also. And this is our show about the recent 2022 Qatar World Cup, which has been played right through the Christmas festive build-up. It's mince pies at the ready as my panel of three experts rummage and release their expertise upon us. We have Craig Barker, top football pundit, still a player of the game, who gave his second son the middle name Liniment. We've got Ian Tallentire, the uncharted sports scientist and a man who wears his toupee like a badge of pride and radical militancy. And we've got Mike Harwood, the poet and troubadour of many football club bars and who once personally smuggled many sacks of counterfeit banknotes for the Sudanese government, part of one of the world's greatest money laundering operations and which you can read about in his forthcoming memoir, I Left My Mother in San Francisco. Now, a recent winner of our amazing quiz, Guess the Weight of Adrian Dressed as Santa, was 12-year-old Megan Collar from Prettygate. And a few weeks ago, she popped into Com Radio Towers to claim her prize, which was two tickets for the World Cup final, all expenses paid in Qatar a few weeks ago. I took her for a plate of chips up in the canteen while her dad was finding a parking space in Wivenhoe, and little Megan was super excited to be at the Com Radio Towers. And I want to say once again... I'm going to say this to anyone still doubting this uh, uh, after some very unfair uh, posts on social media. Megan really did give me the two tickets for the World Cup final, all expenses paid, because she really is a kind and very generous person, and she really did prefer to take instead as her prize the offer of a couple of slots on this show for her older brother's college band to play some of the songs they've written. So I've brought back lots of little bits from Qatar for little Megan as mementos for her. There's a picture we've got here, the picture of the seats in the stadium right on the halfway line where I was, lovely view uh, I've got a wristband I had to wear to access the bar at my hotel that sold alcohol, so I've got that for her it's got quite a funny cartoon character actually, lying on the floor drunk and there's some banknotes, I think there's only about an 8% charge for changing these, for Megan uh, she's look on the internet I guess for a place that does the best rate, well to be honest Megan your best bet is just if you give me the whole lot for 20 quid, uh, that's probably the best rate of exchange you'll get. There's a couple of bars of crisps there with the flavour all written in Arabic, so I'm not really sure where they are. Uh, I do know, Megan, you've got a few food allergies. You told me quite quite, quite a funny story, actually, about a couple of times you've been rushed to A&E with, uh, with toxic shock reactions. Now, was it gluten? I can't remember. Or nuts or, or maybe salt, something like that, I know. But anyway, your friends at school will be really jealous when you open these. The packet really does look special. There's, look, there's a plane with Qatar Airlines logo flying over a football pitch uh, and there's uh, sort of nut trees all around the pitch and the flavour name of the crisps in Arabic. So, everybody, look out for Megan's brother's band, Gob Splinter, they're called, and they're coming up during the show, which is all about Qatar World Cup and uh, Christmas. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. 
Been an awful good girl, Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, a fifty-four convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed. Next year I could be just as good if you check off my Christmas list. Santa baby, I want a yacht, and really that's not a lot. Been an angel all year, Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa, honey, one little thing I really need: the deed to a platinum mine, Santa baby. So hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa cutie, and fill my stocking with a duplex and checks. Sign your X on the line, Santa cutie, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Hurry down. Chimney tonight. Hurry tonight. A very merry World Cup. 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 A very merry World Cup from Box Thirty Nine. Well, it is a very merry World Cup, and uh, I'm Bill Lawrence. This is Box Thirty Nine, and as I just mentioned, the studio is full. Apart from the house band, with we've got the, oh, the band coming in. Well, I've got in front of me wearing a fetching uh, blue jacket. I've got Ian Tallentire. Hello, Ian. Good evening, Bill. Good evening, everybody. Nice to be here once more. It's very nice to see you too. And uh, just to Ian's right and slightly to my left, Craig Barker. Good Craig. evening. Good evening, Craig. Lovely to see you. Lovely to be back. And then uh, just rushing in at the last moment, uh, still with half a half of his Guinness to drink. It's Mike Harwood. Hello, Mike. Hello there, and uh, great to be here in the run-up to uh, the last Christmas before 2022. It is, isn't it? Well, really, I think, although it is Christmas, uh, we've really been focusing on the World Cup, and that's what we're going to be chatting about. Uh, I don't suppose there's anyone that has failed to notice there has been a World Cup in 2022 coming from the country called Qatar. So, really, it's going to be over to you, gentlemen, to talk about uh, that World Cup. You are the experts. So, first of all, let's get right to those standout moments. Those standout moments that made you either hate it or love it, that really do lodge in your memory. And uh, we'll start with you, Ian. Um, I think it was when uh, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina in the first match, uh, or their first match. Absolutely outstanding and amazing to see the faces of the Argentinian players and supporters at the end of the game. Totally, <laughs> well, <laughs> I can't actually find reasonable English to express it, so well, I'll, we, I'll, I'll park it there. We are used to those faces, but usually on England fans. Yeah, normally on Iceland England fans, you know. But, I mean, to be <laughs> beaten by a team that was you know, very much the underdog, I thought was was amazing. And really, for me, set the scene that it was going to be a World Cup of not necessarily upset, but of intrigue. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. Craig, what was your standout moment? I think Morocco. Morocco's run. I don't think yeah. anyone really saw them going as far as they did. A team that's probably greater than the sum of their parts. Yeah. You know, people like 
Sophie and Boo Fowler was a Southampton reject less than a season ago going on and having a starring role for them and getting all the way through to the knockout rounds I thought was sensational yeah it made a difference didn't it having a, a new confidence from a continent it was the way they played as well you know back to front nice and quick high press I don't think anyone expected like them English, to... It was very English, wasn't it? Incredibly English, yeah. But much English. faster. <laughs> yeah, better. But not like the England team, it was like English Premier League football. No, it was, that's exactly what it was, yeah. Not the England team at all. No. And the fact they beat Spain and Portugal. That's right. Yeah. 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 Mike, yeah. did you have any standout moments? Well, a couple really. One of them was when um, Japan scored the... Um, the goal against Spain. Is that the over the line, not over the line goal? That's right. Mm. And I didn't. I never knew that uh, the ball didn't have to be on the line, but it was the circumference of the ball. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. Uh, which I would have thought was debatable, even with the um, wonderful VAR, because I thought it might even depend on the curvature of the earth in terms. Oh, of... I, I think it probably <laughs> depended on which which inner surface of the ball the chip was stuck to. <laughs> that as well. It's night and day from the Frank Lampard ghost goal against uh, Germany, wasn't it? Yeah, from 2010. Yeah. Yeah. Another oh, one, yeah. My other one was that um, Brazil's over-the-top celebrations with the players and the managers and staff mm. all falling on top of each other. I love the spirit. And I love the way that upset the miserable Roy Keane. <laughs> <laughs> he might have had a point, but I'd rather see him you know, challenge them. You can't actually see the expression on his lips through that beard anyway, <laughs> can you? You just know he's not happy. Exactly. <laughs> well, we're not joined by Adrian tonight. Uh, in no music colleges from Adrian, because uh, we've had to send him off on a mission. Now, as you probably remember, we have one of our team, the mighty Stato, who's probably got more statistics uh, than any any other person in the whole of Wivenhoe. Well, he went off to Qatar and he sent us one report. Stato has just sent us one report, which we're going to play in a moment, but uh, we've not heard anything. In fact, uh, his phone doesn't appear to have been on for at least a week. So that's where Adrian's gone. Adrian's gone off to Qatar to find him. So in the meantime, hopefully we will hear from Adrian and Stato before the end of the show live. But until then, here is Stato's Qatar report. I am Stato, and this is Stato's World Cup Report from Qatar, exclusively for Cone Radio on 106.6 FM. Yes, the World Cup was held in Qatar this time, and Stato was there for every Qatari statistic, every Qatari fact, measurement number, and piece of data of a Qatari kind. And yes, thank you, Qatar, for a superb tournament and an unforgettable statistic-generating cultural exchange. And now Stato can exclusively reveal for Cone Radio that for every goal that was scored in the first half of a match where the assist to that said goal was contributed by a naturally right-footed player or player who has been judged to favour his right foot in free-flowing open play, then it's a statistical Stato fact that the match was restarted from the dead ball situation on the halfway line once everyone had stopped running around after the goal was scored under the bright floodlights. Yes, Stato says this has been the Qatari World Cup, a statistical jamboree like no other, and I have gobbled and gobbled until my jaw has ached in order to eat this phenomenal feast of fried football fat food. Well, thank you, Stato. As, as always, laden with facts. And uh, all those facts can be found on our website. So uh, we're going back to our sort of overview of the World Cup with my uh, three guests here. And uh, we're going to start this time with Craig. You've talked about this standout team. Uh, what was your standout game, Craig? 
Well, I mean, it's probably the most obvious one, but for me, it was the final. Yeah. France three, Argentina three. Argentina winning 4-2 on penalties. I don't think anyone expected it to be that many goals. Yeah. Mbappe with a hat trick, getting the golden boot but not getting the World Cup. I thought that was a, a sensational final. Yeah. And what did you think of the final, Ian? Well, I thought the last sort of 50, 45, 50 minutes were absolutely amazing. I didn't think France turned up for the first mm. sort of 70, 75 yeah. minutes. And then all of a sudden there was this explosion of movement from the French. Yeah. A little unfortunate that two of them were penalties. The Mbappe goal from open play, I thought, was possibly the goal of the tournament. Yeah. It was spectacular. And it's been described as the best World Cup final ever. Now, Mike, you've been to a few World Cup finals. <laughs> I know you've been in Wembley to see yeah. England win. Uh, what did you think of the final? Do you think it was the best ever? Well, I can't really say that it wasn't uh, better than uh, when I was at Wembley in 1860, no, 1966, <laughs> when uh, that was sensational, but that was about being there. But... Um, in terms of what interested me particularly about the French not turning up was that was it because they had a virus or the psychology? And I think the, the psychology of the second half where it turned around and where the French players and Mbappe just inspired. I mean, that whole thing about psychology in sport mm. and kind of willing yourself and you can do it. A good example you, of... And momentum as well. Uh, yeah. As well. It's yeah, very so hard to stop you, momentum once it starts. You don't Fantastic. think it was anything to do with what Deschamps was um, shouting at them from the sidelines <laughs> and threatening them with, because from the expressions on his face, whatever he was shouting was not pleasant. And no, mm. he was not happy. Not no. a happy bunny. But he was eventually... I think uh, whatever level of football fan you were, that final was extremely entertaining, wasn't it? It was. Absolutely. Yeah. listening to Box 39 and it's all about a very merry World Cup and of course the World Cup in question is the 2022 World Cup in Qatar full of controversy of course Ian it was a pretty controversial choice for a World Cup tournament wasn't it? Yes Why? 
I think there's a couple of ways of looking at this. And one of them, uh, one of the, the quotes that I recall was from the Norway, Norway's Football Association president, uh, Lisa Klavnes, when she was at the FIFA Congress earlier this year and, and stated that it was awarded in an unacceptable way with unacceptable consequences. Yeah. She didn't, or it, that wasn't expanded upon, but it's pointing the finger at the fact that there might have been a lot of cash involved. I don't think I even have to say allegedly, do I, at this point? Well, you probably do, because there was, there was a report, wasn't there, between 2018-2022 by a uh, former US attorney looked at the processes, and he said there was no smoking gun, Mr Lawrence, no uh, smoking gun. Well, allegedly there He's was a... He's a lawyer, lot... you've got to believe it. Uh, OK, surely. well, I rephrase <laughs> that then. Allegedly, there was a lot of bribery and corruption involved. <clears throat> Which obviously has been picked up now. Yeah, and you've got to remember that it did soften it because initially this was going to be played in the height of summer. You know, we were going to be looking at more or less fully air-conditioned stadia uh, for this to happen because of the health consequences that were being stated about running around in 40 degrees of heat. I mean, what do these guys train for? Aren't they used to that? You know, playing at Turf Moor in the winter months <laughs> with the wind coming off the Pennines, their fingertips freezing in their Gore-Tex gloves. And then you go and play in, you know, the middle of a desert. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, who's had a better idea than Qatar for the World Cup? OK, well... well I mean, it's the equivalent. I mean, come on, Bill, when you think about this, places to play football, it's the equivalent of building a series of stadia on the tundra in Canada, isn't it? And using... I mean, they used X. Air Force bases that the Americans use for landing their jumbo jets. It's like using, where is it? Is it uh, Labrador? You know, it's like playing there. It was ridiculous. Well, having said that, the next World Cup is in Canada. Yeah, but southern Canada, <laughs> the USA and Mexico. The temperatures yeah. tend to be slightly more yeah, temperate. Very true. Slightly more temperate. Just don't play in the winter in Chicago. Okay, it's well, minus we'll, 17 we'll, dig a, we'll <laughs> dig a bit more into this controversy. But first of all, uh, we're going to hear from Gobsplinter, our, music, our guest house band uh, for this show. They're a duo uh, who describe themselves as a street punk retro garage phenomenon. They were formed in July this year by 16-year-old Harrison Collar, brother of our competition winner, Megan, and Siggy Windbrush. Uh, thank you for coming in, Harrison. But where is Siggy? He's not to be seen. Um, where is he? Oh, he's not here. He's not here. Sorry. Sorry, gentlemen. He's not here. He's not come. Uh, because he's been grounded by his mum for getting a detention <laughs> in maths at school this week. Uh, so are you still going to be able to play, uh, Harrison? Uh, okay, you know, Harrison says he's using a tape they recorded in Siggy's bedroom last night. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, uh, no expense spared. This is Gobsplitter and Turkey Curry and Declan Rice. Declan Rice is a footballer. Declan Rice is a Okay, uh, well, not really what I was expecting uh, uh, from you, Harrison, but, um, you know, a deal's a deal. Uh, we said I got the tickets for the World Cup final, and, uh, you know, your part of it was to play. So thank you very much. Uh, that was Gobsplinter, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, uh, just... Uh, it was just what it was. Well, anyway, contemporary, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you sit over there and, and uh, you have a Coke, Harrison. And, uh, and a well, turkey-flavoured crisp, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so controversy, controversy. So, Craig, did you think it was controversial, this World Cup? No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course it was. Of course it was. You know, those points have been well covered. But uh, I'd say one one silver lining about this is the fact that a lot of the human rights issues, which has been a big part of the Middle East for a long, long time, has has now perhaps come to the forefront a bit more as a result of this World Cup. People who perhaps didn't pay any attention to this these issues before 
are now kind of realising, oh, actually, there is some serious human rights issues over there. Yeah. And this World Cup has actually drawn attention to that, which um, yeah. is potentially a good sign. And perhaps things may start to change as a result of a wider understanding of what's actually going on. But yeah. will, it, will it ever come out about the uh, number of um, worker deaths? I mean, it's been estimated from 6,437. It's a wide range. Well, if you listen to one of the, I can't remember the particular role of this individual, but he said, death's a part of life, please don't ask me this question. And that was, uh, yeah. that was the end of it, wasn't it? Yeah. As far as that conference went. But I mean, uh, There's various uh, reports. New York Times calculated that um, Nepal lost 2,200 with suicides, but... It's difficult to substantiate, but it sounds like it. Well, happens. many paid thousands and thousands in, in fees, didn't they? Agent fees, in order to get work in the first place. Exactly. So they had to pay this enormous sum of money in order to just have access to yeah. work in Qatar yeah. to build the stadiums and, and the facilities. Yeah. Um, which the deposits, they were told, were, were they're not going to be given back to them. So it runs quite deep. And then yeah. there's the unknown about the MEP who uh, possibly got some cash from Qatar. And, uh... <laughs> well, I don't know about you, Mike, but I don't have handbags full of cash at, at home. That's mainly because I don't have handbags, but I don't have rucksacks full of cash at home. <laughs> if you had, you'd needed about 500 of them for this. To please, carry please. that amount. I mean, what I, what I find really interesting, you know, you're talking about the agency fees for the individuals to even go and work and put themselves at risk on these projects. Mm. Then there's $200 billion spent on infrastructure Mm. I mean, how is that good for the environment? You know, the mm. environmental impact, not just the sports washing that we've seen. Yeah, I totally, I totally get your point, Craig, and I agree that we seem to have got beyond that, you know, with the information coming, coming into the public eye. But, you know, 200 billion, great infrastructure for the, for the country. Do they have the population to use those stadia? Where is this, uh, you know, this legacy that we talk about when we have these competitions like the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, and, and the World Cup? Okay. Well, someone who's not controversial at all is this man, Elvis Presley.
I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is Box 39, and uh, I'm here with three incredibly uh, expert viewers of the World Cup, thinkers of the game, and assessors of the cultural and sporting significance of football. How about that? And uh, Craig, I'd like you to start off uh, our chat now really thinking about England, England's World Cup. Was it, uh, you know, they played very well, didn't they? Lost by the old goal in a match they could easily have won at the end. Is that, uh, apart from a few rancorous feelings, um, maybe less rancorous feelings as an England fan than most tournaments? Fair assessment, Craig? I think so. I mean, for me, England are this high-floor, low-ceiling team. I think most people would have predicted a quarter-final defeat would have been probably as far as this England side would probably go. And I think losing to France in the way that we did is probably a fair reflection on the England side as a whole. I think we did struggle to create in the final third in that match, although I wouldn't say France were necessarily the better team. But one thing I would say is that what's quite clear now <clears throat> is the way Gareth Southgate has the team together. There's a lot of cohesion in the squad. I remember um, hearing interviews with some of the England players in the previous generation or the previous tournaments and they spoke about there used to be team rivalries. So there used to be an Alan Shearer table and a Manchester United table and a Liverpool table. But that now doesn't happen and, and the, tip, the players all seem to get on really well. And I think that moving forward, I'd say that there's a really good building block to continue to push on from. There's a lot of young players with a lot of talent and we don't seem to have that fraction in the squad which I think is really important to build a, squad, a, a strong team that can actually compete for major tournaments. Can I, can I just put a question to you? Because you're talking about young players and building blocks. Mm. Do you feel that uh, Gareth um, used his building kit um, to the best? Probably not in some of those games. I think we have an abundance of attacking talent, and that's clear to see. I think there's an issue at the back, potentially. You'd say Harry Maguire and John Stones, neither of those two centre-backs are starting players or week-in, week-out players for their team. Harry Maguire's been off form. John Stones is in and out of the Man City team. But no, I would agree. When you look at the substitutions made, there was arguments that perhaps Jack Grealish could have been brought on earlier in that final game. But I think it's difficult. When you've got the, the attacking talent that he has, it must be quite challenging knowing when to switch, who to put in, and where to kind of go with those particular lineups because there is such an abundance of, of forward players within the squad. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a difficult one. I don't think, I mean, we'd all like to be the England football manager for the uh, for the annual salary. I mean, I'll take five million a year to uh, suggest to 23 individuals or however large the squad is to run around in whatever pattern. <laughs> but, you know, the book does stop with him. I think is your, you're right. It was a little bit disappointing knowing that that quarterfinal was probably as far as, as we were going to go, particularly against a French team that for the majority of the game looked pretty inept. Yeah, I will just say that I think there's a big difference between club management and tournament management in international football. And I think Gareth Southgate's proved that he is an international tournament manager mm. and that if, he's going to get, if there's going to be anybody who can get the best out of this squad, then I think that he's certainly shown that he can bring people together and, and, mm. and put forward a football team that's capable of winning matches, albeit perhaps quite conservatively in certain games. Yeah. Well, it's... Uh our luck and our fortune that we're going to hear from Gobsplinter again, our guest house band for this show. And uh, don't forget to uh, play tonight as winners of a competition. Now, it's only 50% of Gobsplinter because uh, half of them have cried off. And to be quite honest, it sounds like about 10% of them. Uh, but anyway, their first song wasn't great. But, uh, you know, uh, it's not the, uh, the the worst house band that we've ever had either. I mean, I remember when Sue Pollard came in here with her entire family and played 16th century madrigals on a Casio keyboard and that was pretty awful. So anyway, Harrison, Collar, Gobsplinter, this is your contractual obligation uh, opportunity and you're getting a decent prize, so step up to the mark, please. Three lions on my Christmas jumper Turkey buddies on the go Forty in the snow Three lions on my Christmas jumper Turkey buddies on the go Forty in the snow Three lions on my Christmas jumper Turkey buddies on the go Forty in the snow Three lions on my Christmas jumper 
to polish my box, my special box, my box 39. Well, there we are. That's uh, uh, sort of a bit of gobsplinter and uh, probably enough gobsplinter for that time. And then that moved on to the, uh, the new version of Three Lions for the winter World Cup. I mean, we did hear turkey, curry, and Declan Rice. I was hoping for the bonus track, Jack Goulash, but that never materialized. <laughs> well, there's more, one more to come. You never know. They might just surprise you. No such or... thing as inspirational thought. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've asked Mike to... to, to I'm going to ask you, Mike. Now, what is... Uh, you know, we, we, the world has come together. They've celebrated a simple game. All it is is a bit of inflated, uh, spherical skin, isn't it? Kicked around a field by 22 adult males from all different nationalities, and none but two of them are allowed to touch it by hand, unless, of course, it's the hand of God. So yeah. why is the World Cup more than just a football tournament, Mike? Well, I don't really have time to cover this, but um, I'll start with um, community. Always a difficult word to uh, categorise, but the Qatar officials thought that the tournament would bring a new picture of Qatar that it wouldn't be like the picture of social media and world news. And uh, I think they thought they could um, bring together, well, they did actually have 20,000 volunteers who participated, uh, which was the largest volunteer activation in Qatar's history. And, um, well, positive and negative, really. 
the um, Centre for Sport and Human Rights International um, Organisation, their mission statement is to advance the world of sport that fully respects and promotes human rights. Well, if we take the statement by Nasser Al-Maghazib, I think it is, whose uh, title was, very fanciful, Volunteer Strategic Manager Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy. You're going to need a wide door to get that on. Anyway, I think his idea, or Qatar's idea of community, was the following. It's quite a short-term quote. One of the common things we hear from volunteers is the positive experience they get working alongside people from other cultures and nationalities. This led to new friendships being created and a better understanding of other cultures and community. Well, do you think it did? Is that answers on a postcard? Well, Mike, I mean, <laughs> a rhetorical question. <laughs> well, uh, none of us were able to answer. Oh, you've le- I, think, I've le- I think you've left us slightly speechless. They may well have made some friends, and they've certainly seen other nations and the communities from other nations in full flow. I mean, we're all used to seeing uh, the supporters from the South American teams in good voice with their drums wearing their team shirts, you know, the, uh, the, yeah. the, the vitality of the Brazilians and the Argentinians. Well, they were outclassed by other countries, communities, Senegal, Ghana, yeah. uh, and Morocco, with the, with yeah. the movement, the sound, uh, the, the, the visibility that they had in those stadia. As to your statement, probably not. No, well, we'll never know. But the cultural impact of football, Mike, is tremendous, isn't it? Yeah, I would have hoped that they brought it was more positive than negative overall in terms of the mix of people, what they learned about each other, how they interacted. And you can take that further. It's a a cultural impact around the world, isn't it? I mean, it pulls everyone together in this country. I think there is a general feeling of a common event, which is always a good thing. Yeah, there's a feeling of belonging, isn't there? It's a way to be connected. Yeah. Yeah. Bleeds into society a lot more than just a standalone football match might. It does sort of bring communities together. Yeah, and I think for another example, of course, is um, coming back to Morocco again, I think for about the fourth time, what was resonating, I thought, was that, um, well, the pictures capturing players falling to the ground, photos capturing the output of love uh, for the institution of motherhood, which doesn't often come into football. Mm. But the way the, the mothers came onto the pitch. And, yeah, uh, that's right. Friends. Yeah, That was great, wasn't it? Mm. Given they have a little bit stereotype headscarves and uh, the, the uh, perfect mother image, mm. not the young girlfriend with makeup and no... That's uh, right. <laughs> With no uh, covering on the head, but um, even so, it was very, very moving, very touching. So I think we have to go for the uh, the positives, really. Well, let's have another moving, touch or touching cultural moment. Um, this is a gob splinter, and this is their third and final piece for us tonight. Um, you know, I'm sure they're going to go on to be highly successful accountants or or successful criminals, certainly never going to be highly successful musicians. However, um, what they are, uh, you know, I'm actually thinking, was the trip to Qatar worth it? To be quite honest, I've just got a lot of sunburn. Uh, next door to my hotel every night, there seem to be camels that are on a honeymoon. You know, <laughs> I didn't get any sleep. So, uh, well, anyway, this is a minute none of us are ever going to get back in our lives. Marcus Rashford Marcus Rashford Rashford around the Christmas tree Rashford around the tree Rashford around the Christmas tree Rashford around the tree Do we know it? Rashford around the Christmas tree Rashford around the tree Rashford around the Christmas tree Rashford around the tree Do we know it? Rashford around the Christmas tree Rashford around the tree Rashford around the Christmas tree, Rashford around the tree, do we know it? Rashford around the Christmas tree, Rashford around the tree, Rashford around the Christmas tree, Rashford around the tree, do we know it? Last Christmas te di mi amor y me lo devolviste el día después Por ti no quiero sufrir, mejor lo regalo a otra Así Rodrigo Ace Ace De todo corazón les deseo feliz navidad 
olvidaste que mi corazón te estuvo esperando. Yo lo envolví, lo mandé con las tres palabras que conoces. Ahora sé lo bien tonto que fui y con un beso más no ganarás otra vez. Last Christmas te di mi amor y me lo devolviste el día después. Por ti no quiero sufrir, mejor lo regalo a otra. Por ti no quiero sufrir, mejor lo regalo a otra. Oh, it's your boy, el latino francés, desde París para el mundo. Ondas positivas. Por ti tanto lloré hasta perder a oh, oh, Hoy yo tengo un nuevo amor, no ganarás otra vez Las Christmas te di mi amor Y me lo devolviste el día después Por ti no quiero was uh, Rodrigo Ace and his version of Last Christmas. Apparently that's called the Bachata version. And uh, before that you heard Harrison Collar, who has now left the uh, studio. <laughs> and uh, well, Thank you very much. <clears throat> and that last one was called Rashford Around well, the Christmas Tree. What was the tree. band called again? Gobsplinter. Yeah, it was definitely only a fragment of something, wasn't it? <laughs> <Hey>. Well, <laughs> anyway, it was a Winter World Cup, wasn't it, gents? It was a Winter World Cup, which was very strange, wasn't it? They they, they won the bid for the, the World Cup, and then, after a few years, moved it back to wintertime. Do you think that really made a difference, you know, for players or for fans? Uh, Ian? Great for me. I, was yeah. spent, I spent the first week of it in Lisbon. I managed to watch at least uh, two halves of most of <laughs> the games played on those days. thought it was great. But it didn't make any difference that it was in the winter. Craig, did, it, did, did you think it, it affected the World Cup being in winter? It was a little unusual because usually with the World Cup, you sort of, in a beer garden, a few friends, it's a summer event. So to kind of be wrapped up at home with the heating on, mm. starting to get dark at sort of four o'clock, it was it was unusual. Mm. And I think the decorations went up quite early for us this year as well. So it was it was an unusual experience. Yeah, it was uh, an unusual, unusual experience. It was also My, unfortunate it wasn't in the middle of um, the COVID. Like if it had been through the first two years where people weren't mixing mm. indoors, it would have been a disaster, wouldn't it? Well, there would have been like international friendlies essentially, wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, we saw that with the Olympics in Japan, didn't we? Mm. It was very low-key. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I felt it was a little bit more low-key from my point of view as a fan because I didn't watch any of the England games in a pub garden, which I've always done before. Yeah. So I think that, that was impactful. West Ham weren't playing during that time, were they? Well, some of them were. Some of them were. We had uh, a couple on the... We had a Moroccan West Ham player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Declan Rice, was he playing? Declan Rice played, yeah. But the one advantage of not socialising so heavily during this World Cup does mean that you get to drink your own beer while watching the game, doesn't it? <laughs> That's true, and you can go else. to the toilet quite comfortably, can't yeah, you? absolutely, yeah. I think it was... I think it was nice to see heat during the winter, to see hot things. Look at a hot country. At least it's better than, you know, uh, just looking out the window. And watch. We had snow, didn't we? We had substantial yeah. amounts of snow. Mm. Now, the tournament structure was different, wasn't it? I really like this. They moved from 24 teams to 32. Now, with the 24 teams, the top two out of each group qualified. So two definitely qualified. And the third place team, more often than not qualified. I mean, if you got one win, 
you were through, pretty much. This, however, it was only the top two, and it meant that a win was not necessarily enough to take you through. I thought the, the uh, group round was much more exciting the way they did it. It's only two of the four to qualify. Uh, what did anyone else think about that? I, I completely agree. I mean, the, in quite a few of the groups, that last game, yeah. I think it was, was it the Portugal group? Where across the, the the afternoon teams were going from fourth to first yeah. and second, they was right. you know it could anybody could have won it. It was a really yeah, exciting some stages. Yeah, yeah. It really yeah. was. Belgium went out. If only they could and... score in the last moment. Yeah, that's right. And who was it who went through because they had less yellow cards at some point? They were potentially going to go through because they had less. Yeah. Same goal difference for both sides. Same points, yeah. but they had less bookings. Well, that wasn't that wasn't <laughs> going to be Croatia, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> was it Germany went out on one goal. That's right. Yeah. Japan <clears throat> Yeah. So you do get these massive shocks and yeah. I, think it's fa- I think it's fantastic I mean it was it was interesting you you needed to have two TVs on and have your mobile phone that's right to work in fact out I did, I, did. I, I, had, I had one game yeah. on my phone and the other one on the TV whilst it was going on yeah and the other exciting thing about the uh, uh, the early rounds was the um, the underdogs wasn't the number came through and uh, yeah Surprise the big teams. I mean, that they gave it another edge of uh, interest. Absolutely. Well, there's all sorts of uh, rumours uh, abounding for what's going to happen in the next World Cup. Uh, endless substitutions, dividing the match into two 30-minute halves. Yeah, can I? Because we were talking about this earlier on the way into the studio. I, my understanding of that was it was two halves of 30 minutes of ball in play that's right ball in play yeah ball in play not not. and it was a big it was a big change to see how much the referees were accounting for ball in play which is how you got the extra time of 14 minutes in one game that was going to be my question so if it's if it's 30 minute halves are we expecting plus stoppages for the games to be 45 minute halves anyway no, I think you, you you just play until the, the the clock or the referee yeah. has shown that thirty minutes of the ball has been played. Be much more like a rugby league game where yeah. all the, all the timeouts as such. So in the, like the American Basketball League, where yeah, one, yeah, that's it. So they get, yeah. the clock essentially stops. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's come back to this and come back to your e- your emails and texts after this. Well, we're delighted we have opened the box this week for our very merry World Cup and some time for some of your texts. First one from Daryl Bass from Gusset Hill in St. Ozith. And Daryl says, I enjoyed the group games of the World Cup, watched them all with the family, Nan, the kids and the dog. We all decided to spice the knockout stage a bit more. And for the Senegal game, we had Senegalese food and drink during the game with stuffed mallet, shrimp, rice, all the veg and a lovely green tea with hibiscus. And then I was at work during the game, France game, so all I could do was drink a few bottles of St Agnes Burgundy 1982 with my team in the call centre while we waited for any emergency call-outs. So what was your go-to food and drink for watching England, Craig? Go-to food and drink? Go-to food and drink was um, a packet of well-known branded sensations (laughs) and a couple of jars of IPA. That nice. was my go-to. Nice. Crisp and beer. Can't be that. Too right. Pauline Bush has contacted us. This is from West Stanway. Thank you, Pauline. Uh, Pauline says, I find religion a very good antidote to getting too carried away with something as frivolous as a game, albeit one that entertains and brings happiness to billions around the planet. Uh, Pauline goes on to say, as a child back in Johannesburg, we would never watch football live on TV in case it brought on any irrepressible heightened emotions, which could lead to regrettable evenings of enjoyment without suffering. 
suffering. Daddy once let me and my brothers listen to it a uh, game on the radio as we were sat around the kitchen table making counterfeit lottery scratch cards to sell to illiterate road sweepers at the market the next day. Uh, now she asked, "Do you watch the England games live? How do you survive the emotional roller coaster, Mike?" Well. Um you uh, get as many golden hours as possible and you have as many friends as possible just to share the emotions, which are very heightened. I'd have thought after almost 100 years, Mike, you're used to the disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> but you still remember that game in 1966, don't well, you? Well, yeah. Did I tell you, I was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, We've got another text uh, from Hugo Basis from Upper Wigborough and he says, Football! Where's the tension, the suspense? Where's the drama, says Hugo? The tragedy. What about the passion, the excitement, the emotion? Let's see something a little bit more exciting in the next World Cup. He says, I watched the whole World Cup working from home from my millennial-based IT company sat in front of a 60-inch plasma smart TV for all 64 matches. My friend Colin came round, says uh, Hugo, very angry after Kane missed his penalty and said that he was upset and was going to throw his England 2022 T-shirt into the bin. But as he did bring some excellent pizza and I really had the munchies for me the game ended really well for Colin it was a nightmare was it the best World Cup or a stinker Ian that's what uh, Hugo asks um, it depends which aspect you're looking at doesn't it are you looking at the football football was great are you looking behind the scenes well we've talked about sports washing we've talked about the impact on the environment I would say a bit of a mixed bag Mr Lawrence that's a great answer well Perhaps because World Cup football feeds on so much patriotism, individual talent and team coordination and strategy, rivalries emanating from past encounters in, in the World Cup and other matches, it dredges the depths of our emotions. It scours for the dregs of love and hatred. Those without the means are contented with their television sets where all eyes are glued in private homes, bars, community halls, other venues that attempt to reproduce the incumbent stadium of the live event with its ambience of conviviality, raucous fans and celebrants, the partaking of the spectacle interposed with moments of silence and outbursts. It is the ultimate unscripted fetish moment. Now, we've got a final text coming from Donna from Norwich. Donna. Uh, you're very hey. pleased to see. Hello, and Donna's Donna. text evening, today, Donna. and Donna says uh, she really has enjoyed the show tonight. It reminded her of an evening she and a group of her girlfriends attended a few months ago at the Superior Banqueting Suite at the Royal Hotel in Aylsham, Norfolk, for the annual Norwich City FC Board of Directors Summer Ball. Donna said she was very excited to see where all the big knobs hang out, and she says it was such a posh function, she and the other girls ended up trying to speak with plums in their mouths. Well, thank you very much for that, Donna. That's an excellent text. And that's the end of our show. It's been a, a, a roller coaster of World Cup uh, football and a little touch of Christmas as well. I'd like to thank my uh, large number of guests. I've got Ian Tallentire, thank you so much. And, and uh, Craig Barker, thank you, Craig. And Mike Carwood, thank you. And with Mike, you 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 were the person who bowled us the, the rhetorical question that left us speechless in this show. So we're going to award you uh, first prize, and this is the first prize. It's a double album from Gobsplinter. So you enjoy that, Mike. Oh, thank lucky, you very much. <laughs> so from high up here in Studio One on the fourth floor of Colm Radio Towers, we're looking out over the full and the fertile lands of North East Essex. It's time for us to climb. Box 39, once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you.
39 is a Guppy production for Cohen Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. 